Father, that's what we pray over, over this worship service as well, over actually everything we do as a church, that we as a church would be equipped and discipled to be your people in the world, that we'd go out with the gospel. And so, Father, we pray that you would equip us here this morning through the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, and now as we come to your word, Lord, may, may you use this time to build us up and shape us to be your people in the world. And so, Father, we want to hear you speak, and we want to hear you speak clearly and powerfully to us. And Father, we ask that anything that may hinder us from hearing you speak, any distractions or frustrations or anxieties or fears, any of that would be pushed off to the side so that we could hear you speak clearly and powerfully to us this morning. We ask that you would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, amen. We're looking at two chapters from the book of Revelation this morning, and I decided we're going to read them both for our scripture reading. So it's a little longer, but it's important to kind of set the context of everything we're going to look at. So Revelation 8 and 9. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God and from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. There came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up. And all the green grass was burned up. Second angel sounded his trumpet. And something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died. A third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet. And a great star blazing like a torch fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an angel, or an eagle, that was flying in midair call out with a loud voice, Woe! Woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss, and out of the smoke came locusts. Our locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any plant or tree, but only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not given power to kill them, 
but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes a man. During those days, men will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. The locusts looked like horses prepared for battle. On their heads, they wore something like crowns of gold, and their faces resembled human faces. Their hair was like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates, like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the thundering of many horses and chariots rushing into battle. They had tails and stings like scorpions, and in their tails they had power to torment people for five months. They had as king over them the angel of the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and his Greek is Apollyon, that is, destroyer. The first woe is past. Two other woes are yet to come. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that's before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. The four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of the mounted troops was 200 million. I heard their number. The horses and riders I saw in my vision looked like this. Their breastplates were fiery red, dark blue, and yellow as sulfur. Their heads of the horses resembled the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and sulfur. And a third of mankind was killed by three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. The power of the horses was in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails were like snakes, having heads with which they inflict injury. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshiping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone, and wood. Idols that cannot see or hear or walk. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Sobering. Um, it's not a happy, happy, joy, joy passage. <laughs> it, uh, it's very sobering. And, and as I was working through the passage and, and studying it, I kept thinking about um, an organization that I've been connected with over the years um, called Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. And I know some of you know that we support this organization every year. My family, we still go back to Minnesota. We do a charity fishing tournament to help raise money for them, and we're connected and supporting them in other ways. And, and uh, it's an organization that helps people through drug and alcohol addiction. And uh, we've supported this organization because our family has been impacted heavily by addiction over the years. Um, I've had close friends and relatives struggle with addiction year after year after year. Um, I've literally watched family members drink themselves to death, just keep going until they died. I had friends completely throw their lives away, um, chasing the next high. Um, I literally followed a trail of beer bottles out to a back shed to sit with a, an alcoholic who was contemplating taking his life, trying to convince him not to take his own life because he was at the point of despair. And if you, it's one of the most challenging, heartbreaking things you can walk with somebody through is addiction. And, and if you've ever been there, if you've ever walked with somebody through addiction, there does come a point where you ask, how much further do they have to fall? Um, 
before they they realize this is not the right path, before their eyes are open to, to make some changes, or before even their eyes are open to go get help. Um, how much more damage do they have to do to themselves or even their, their family members before they stop making these decisions? And you get there's moments where you get frustrated because you th- something happens to them and you think, this is rock bottom. This is going to open their eyes, and yet it's not rock bottom for them. And they keep kind of spiraling down further and further and further, um, making kind of one painful decision after another painful decision. And that's the picture we're given in this chapter. I mean, it ends on this. I mean, this whole passage is very somber and and sobering, but it ends with, I think, probably the most sobering words of the whole thing. It says, The rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or the sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. And now imagine all of the chaos that went forth as trumpet after trumpet blew, all of these judgments of God coming upon the earth. You would think that these types of events would bring people to reconsider life, to evaluate their ways, to to check where their trust is, where their, where their uh, allegiances are. And yet it ends and says, nothing changed. They didn't stop worshiping their false gods. They didn't stop doing the things that were destroying them. They just kept on worshiping gold and silver, which never brought them happiness. They kept on worshiping demons They kept on with their sexual immorality. Even after judgment after judgment came upon them, nothing changed. And it's it's sobering. And all of the path all of these chapters is building up to that final statement right there. And as we as we go through these chapters, I have to let you know that covering two chapters with about five hundred images, I have to speak really generally today. So I just want to encourage you, if you want to dive deeper into the imagery in here, as I've kind of pointed over the last few weeks, you've got to go back to the Old Testament and see how the Old Testament uses these images. And so the study booklet that I've created gives you a start, but that probably only has about 40 different Old Testament passages that point you to this imagery. There's probably 150 or 200. (laughs) And so you can dive in, dig into the Old Testament to figure out what some of these images mean. But there's some general themes going on as the trumpets blow that are really important. And when you go back to the Old Testament and you think of trumpets blowing, what's the first story that pops into your mind? Jericho. Yeah, right? We tell our kids this story over and over and over again. God's people are coming into the promised land. They've just gotten out of Egypt. They're, they're about to go into the promised land and they have to go to Jericho first. And here's what God tells them at Jericho. I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You will march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets 
of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day, you will march around the city seven times, and the priest will blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people will shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. Now, if you read through that and you start reading through what's going on in these chapters, there's a lot of similarities between what's happening at Jericho and what's happening as the trumpets start blowing in chapters 8 and 9 of of Revelation. But notice, on the one hand, just a real obvious one, there's seven trumpets blowing here. And how many trumpets are blowing at Jericho? Seven trumpets. And when the trumpets blow, the walls come a-tumbling down. And uh, we, we, we always tell that story from, like, this is God bringing his people, which is true, but it's also, why are the walls coming tumbling down? Because it's a judgment upon the city of Jericho. God told his people, you were not going to get into the promised land until those in the promised land had stored up enough judgment to deserve what's coming upon them. So Jericho, was the walls came tumbling down and the whole city was wiped out as a judgment. So trumpets have this sign of, they have imagery of military stuff, but also mainly an image of judgment coming upon um, those who have turned away from God. But there's another image that's kind of mixed in with this, that once these trumpets start blowing in Revelation, things start happening on the earth, right? A trumpet, an angel blows a trumpet and then stuff starts happening on the earth. And as those things happen, some of the things that happen sound fairly familiar. We see fire and hail raining down on earth. We see water turning to blood. We see darkness falling on the land. Sound familiar to the Old Testament, right? The plagues of Egypt. Um, All of these plagues were going against Egypt. Over and God's people were enslaved in Egypt, and God said, Let my people go. And Pharaoh said, No. So God came, brought a plague. Pharaoh said, no. (laughs) Another plague. Pharaoh said, no. And after ten plagues, what did Pharaoh say? Sure. And then he said, no. (laughs) And then the army came after them, and the army ended up being wiped out. And we see, what do we see happening here? Plague comes upon the earth. This is not just going against Egypt. This is the whole earth. Judgment comes against the earth, and the people say, no. Another judgment comes, and the people say, no. Another judgment comes, and the people say, no. And it ends in the same place as it did with Pharaoh. He did not repent. He did not turn from his false gods. He ended up being wiped out. His heart was hard, and he refused to repent. But there's also this... Um, increased the, the fraction changes as we go from in the seals as as Jesus started opening open cracking open these seals it was affecting a fourth of the population right a fourth of the earth a fourth of the earth a fourth of the earth but now the trumpets blow and we hear it's a third of the earth a third of the earth a third of the earth which tells you things are getting worse Right? Things, are, things are ramping up a little bit. The destructiveness of these judgments is increasing. Just like the plagues of Egypt. They slowly got more severe, more severe. And uh, this is, again, this is one of the things that I've talked about repeatedly. This is, 
that idea of birth pains that we've talked about, where, where all of these things happen, they come and then they go away for a little bit, then they come again, and then they go away for a little bit. And each time they come again, they get a little more intense, and then they go, and they get a little more intense. And, and, and it's this general picture we have in the book of Revelation that there's seven seals, and you think, all right, we're done with the seven seals. The judgment is done, right? No, and then it kind of fades away a little bit, and then all of a sudden, boom, seven trumpets come, and now it's worse. There's a third of the earth is being Affected. And then you think the seven trumpets are done, and then eventually we're going to get to, no, seven vials or bowls of wrath are going to pour out, and they're even worse. And so there's this, it's kind of like the opposite of a Russian doll. Like a Russian doll, you pull it apart, you think, oh, there's one doll. You pull it apart, and there's a smaller one inside. It's, it's actually the opposite. You have like a small one, and then you think that's it, and then you pull it apart, and a bigger one comes out. You pull it apart, and a bigger one comes out. And once you get to the seventh, you know, seventh seal opens up seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet opens up seven vials, and And you have this kind of repeated thing happening. And all of that's important because I think, and not everybody agrees with me, and that's fine. It's the revelation. We can disagree. But it seems like these trumpets are happening at the same time as the seals. They're not happening after the seals. And, And here's a couple reasons why. Remember what happened when the sixth, the sixth seal was opened up, right? The earth fell apart, right? The mountains were thrown in the sea, the, the stars fell from the sky, like every, the sky disappeared, it said. But now the trumpets start to blow, and what do we see? We see mountains and skies, and we see all of that stuff is still there. So, I mean, if, if these happened after one another, none of that would ha- be there when the trumpets blew to, to happen. And so they can't happen one right after the other. They have to be kind of working together somehow. And then there's just the sense you get as you listen to these seven trumpets blow and you start thinking about what was happening in the six seals, you think there's just a lot of similarities. There's war breaking out across the earth. There's famine. There's natural disasters. There's wars and rumors of war. There's false teaching. There's all of that you see happening as the trumpets blow. And so what John does over and over through the book of Revelation is he, 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 I mean, Jesus is giving him these visions, but he gives him a vision, and then now here's another vision with these trumpets, and he's looking at the same period of time, just from a little different point of view, and showing that things are going to kind of ramp up a little bit. And that period of time is now. We're in it. This period of time between Jesus' death and resurrection and between Jesus' second coming. I mean, the trumpets are blowing right now. We see all of these things that are happening. We see them happening and and kind of increasing in volume. And then we see this eagle. And it's not an, I don't know, I'm a big Hobbit, Lord of the Rings fan. It's not an eagle out of the Hobbit or Lord of the Rings. Like in Lord of the Rings or Hobbit, when an eagle comes, the eagle's like bringing news of salvation and good news. This is not that eagle. The eagle says, woe, woe. This, a woe is a curse. Curse, curse, curse to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. He's saying, you thought the first four trumpets were bad. The next three are worse. They're more intense. They're more serious. I mean, and when the, and when the fifth trumpet blows, things start to get really weird, Right? 
mean, we get all these creatures that we, you try to start picturing them in your head. What in the world does a locust with lion's teeth and women's hair and a crown, what does that look like? Um, and people look at that and they read through that and I've heard people describe it. Man, it sounds like all hell just broke loose. And I'd say, it's exactly what John's describing. He says, the fifth angel blew his trumpet. I saw a star fallen, already head fallen, from heaven to earth. And he, catch that, star as a he, was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. The star is a person or a being. And we know who it is. Uh, there's a lot. It's, he's described repeatedly throughout the Bible this way, but Jesus says it very clearly in the Gospels. After his disciples got back from their short-term missions trip, he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And Satan's repeatedly referred to as a, star, as a star who had fallen from heaven or as a fallen angel. And so the picture is when the, when the fifth trumpet blows, Satan is given a key to the bottomless pit. And he goes down and he cracks open the bottomless pit and smoke starts rising up, just nasty black smoke rising up and filling the earth. And, and out of that smoke come locusts, which makes us think of Egypt again and the plagues of Egypt. But, but as it starts describing these locusts, they're not just locusts, are they? It says they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. Locusts are fair. I mean, the locusts will eat up all of your food, but they can't hurt you. But a scorpion hurts. I've never been stung by one, but I've heard they hurt. And then it says, in appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. Their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses, horses rushing into battle. And the fact that these creatures come out of the bottomless pit that Satan opened... I think it makes it pretty clear what's being described here. It's describing demonic forces. Satan's unleashing them on the earth. And, they're, and it's kind of a contrast between last week and, and chapter 7. We saw this picture, right, of God's people arrayed for battle. On the verge of entering into warfare... And now we're given the opposite picture. This is Satan's forces being unleashed, ready for battle. Coming out of the bottomless pit. But, but one of the, the interesting things is, look at, look at the way it describes these demonic forces. They look like horses. They wore crowns of gold. They looked like a human face. They had beautiful women's hair. They had teeth like a lion. They had good armor on. They sounded like an army. That almost sounds like a list of idols, doesn't it? Beauty, 
power, gold. And, and actually, it's not exactly, but it sounds a lot like the list at the end of the chapter that people didn't repent of. It says they didn't repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or talk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or sexual immorality or their thefts. It's tying, what John's doing is he's tying these demonic forces into the idols of the day. The sin and the temptation of the people, the things that they didn't repent of, are these, are, the sins are, they've got these demonic forces behind them. And the crazy thing is that they didn't repent of this idolatry or this sin, even though they were destroying them. I mean, that's what it says. These, these locusts, these demonic forces, it says they were allowed to torment them for five months. But not to kill them. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death, will not find it. They'll long to die, but death will flee from them. It says that these demons, they'll sting people, they'll hurt them, they'll torment them. They will bring people to the point of wanting to die, but they won't be able to take their own life. They'll destroy them. And yet, people won't turn away from them. They won't repent. They'll keep worshiping them. Even though they're stinging them repeatedly, they'll keep holding on to them. They'll keep worshiping them. They'll keep seeking them. They'll keep trusting in them. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a devastating thing to see, to watch, that, that, that to watch people cling to the very thing that is destroying them or to trust in the very thing that's bringing them to despair. But they just keep holding on, they keep trusting, they won't let go. And the scriptures repeatedly say that that's just the essence of sin in general, all sin, all idolatry, is that Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. One sin leads to another sin, leads to another sin, leads to another sin. You just keep holding on to the very things that destroy you. Keep holding on to gold, and it keeps stinging you like a scorpion. You keep holding on to beauty, and it keeps stinging you like a scorpion, destroying you, but you won't let go of it. You keep holding on to power and strength, and it keeps stinging you, and you won't let go of it. You're enslaved to sin. And John ramps it up, and it says, not just sin, but there's something actually beyond the sin that there's these demonic forces at work. And we don't talk about them. We don't like to talk about that in the United States, but it's biblical. I mean, in in Ephesians, when we talk about the armor of God, why do we need to put on the armor of God? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's what John's describing. So we need to put on the armor of God. And, And what John's describing in Revelation is this spiritual battle that's going on. We have God's people, God's army arrayed for battle, but there's also Satan's army arrayed for battle. And they hate God's army. They want to destroy God's kingdom. And they're coming after us. Trying to destroy us. Trying to destroy people. It's a gloomy picture. 
And yet there, there's hope in the midst of all of this. There's, there's, as it describes the locusts, it says they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And saying they can't touch those who've been sealed by God. They, demonic forces have no power over Christians. They can't touch us because we're God's people. He's already he's marked you. You're his. He's filled you with the Holy Spirit. They can't touch you. We don't need to be afraid of them. We don't need to go through life tiptoeing, worried about demons coming after us because he says, they, God said, you're not touching my people. You've got no authority over them. You don't have to worry about it. And God marked you and said, you're part of my army. I'm protecting you. And I'm even giving you the Holy Spirit to give you strength in the midst of battle. And we're marked by Jesus Christ, who is the one who's already defeated sin and death and Satan. Uh, Satan's armies are already defeated. They've lost the battle. They, they, they cannot win, even though they're still fighting. And so we shouldn't be afraid. But there's also hope that, that when we believe in Christ, when we trust in Christ, yes, we're sealed by him, but it also says we're set free from the sin that just destroys us right and so in Romans it says we know that our old self was crucified with him with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin all all grabs hold of us and and won't let that we grab hold of and we don't want to let go when we come into Christ he says you're not a slave of that anymore you have the power to overcome that. Through him, through the Holy Spirit, we, we don't have to hold on to the sin that just keeps pounding us in the ground. We can let go of that, and we've been freed to follow Christ. We don't have to wage, we don't have to follow the idols. And, and actually, Paul says we've been given the Holy Spirit, which wages war against our sinful nature for us. The Holy Spirit in us is waging war against our sinful nature and these demonic forces for us. And we're told that in Christ we are more than conquerors of the sin and the battle that we're in. And all of those promises are true for anyone who repents, turns to Christ, and trusts in him and believes. When you do that, you're sealed, you're forgiven, you're, you've got, you're set free from your sin, and you're protected in the midst of this battle. But there's one more part, and I skipped it till the end because it's, it's a good reminder in the midst of all of the gloominess. The chapter 8 starts off with this little interlude. There's kind of chapter 7 is all this picture of God's people and, and us arrayed for battle. And then we get to chapter 8 and there's a few verses before the trumpets start to blow. Something happens in heaven that affects earth. It says, another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. It's all pictures of the priests in the temple. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And this is imagery of our prayers. The prayers we just prayed. Rising like incense up to God into the very presence of God. The prayers of all of the saints, God's people on earth in the midst of battle, 
praying to God and their prayers are rising up before his presence. And then, then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and he threw it on the earth. There were peals of thunder, rumbling, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. It's a picture of the power of prayer. Our prayers go up into heaven. These are God's people on earth in the midst of battle, praying. Their prayers rise up into heaven before God's presence. The angel takes their prayers and chucks them back down to earth and all, all heaven breaks loose. Earthquake, thunder, lightning. God comes out, swoop, as, we, as our psalm at the beginning, God comes swooping down out of the clouds, answering the prayers of his people. All of God's people. And it's a reminder that prayer is not just some impotent, weak thing that we do. It's actually one of the weapons we're given in battle. You know, as, you, as you go through the, the, the armor of God in Ephesians 6, there's a lot of armor that protects us, but we're only given two weapons. And they're tied together, actually. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and prayer. The only two weapons we have to fight this spiritual battle is the Word of God and prayer. And uh, Herman Hoeksma, who obviously you've probably figured out I like by now, this is in the entire purpose of this passage to show us that our prayers are not lost in space, but we can see their answer already here on earth. We pray and things start shaking. We pray and God moves in. And works on our behalf. And that brings us hope because it would be really easy to fall into despair as we watch judgment after judgment after judgment come and see no repentance, no change. It'd be easy for us just to kind of curl up in the ball in the in the corner as Satan's army's attacking, thinking there's nothing we can do about all of these crazy creatures coming at us. And yet this is a reminder we don't lose hope because God's given us a powerful weapon in this battle. Not only has God come and sealed us and said, you're mine and now you're part of my army, he's given us prayer as a weapon to fight. And those prayers go all the way up into his presence and then he takes them and he throws them back down to earth and things start shaking and moving and he protects his people. And then the trumpets actually start blowing as a result of the prayers of God's people. It's a call for prayer in the midst of battle. As, as things get dark and difficult and in the world or in our own lives, it's a call that we need to be on our knees. And we're not just praying. We are praying, which is one of our... We're reading, our, we're reading the Bible and we're praying our two weapons in this war. But don't neglect prayer. As we come under attack, as the world comes under attack, as, as things get dark and gloomy, we get on our knees and we pray. And I want to end by just reading through the Lord's Prayer. And I don't want you to say it with me. I want you to listen to it and think of the things that Jesus told us to pray and think of the things that we've been talking about through the book of Revelation and notice how similar they are. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For the kingdom and the power and the glory are yours forever. And all God's people said, amen. Let's come to God in prayer. Father, we continue to come before you, giving you thanks for being our God. We thank you. You've pulled us out of the pit. You've rescued us. You've set us free from our sin. You've called us as your own. And we thank you, Father, that you've given us weapons for this spiritual battle. Father, help us not to take them for granted. Help us not to neglect the weapons that you've given us. In particular, this morning, Lord, help us not to neglect prayer. Father, bring us to our knees to pray. Help us to trust you, rely on you. Now, Father, use our prayers to bring about your kingdom in this world. We trust you. We know you're in control. Help us to rest in you. Give us the confidence to know, to be reminded that you have won this battle and your kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, amen.